1915, to say that you were against contraception was one of the least controversial things you could say about just about anything. Even though many people used contraception, nearly everyone was officially against it. Every church opposed it, every prominent business leader, college presidents, leading newspapers, book publishers were all uniformly against it. But by 1930, that unified front crumbled as the, Amer as the Anglican Communion became the first church of any denomination to approve limited use of contraception for married couples. Contraception is even less controversial today than it was in 1915, except for, of course, today nearly everybody is for it. When and how did this 180-degree turn take place? In the next few episodes of Quick Answers to Simple Questions, I talked to Touchstone Senior Editor Alan Carlson on his farm in Rockford, Illinois, where we discussed America's moral transformation on contraception between the years of 1915 and 1930. We discussed two individuals who stood on opposite sides of that moral divide. Now, most of our listeners know the name Margaret Sanger as the founder of Planned Parenthood, but you may not know the name Anthony Comstock, Sanger's moral counterpart who died just as Margaret Sanger was arriving on the scene. Today, I ask Anth uh, Alan Carlson, who was Anthony Comstock? Now, in addition to serving as senior editor to Touchstone Magazine, Alan Carlson is the president of the Howard Center. He is a former president of the Rockford Institute. He was the international secretary to the World Congress of Families. He's a professor of history at, Hill at Hillsdale College, a fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, and the author of many books and articles. He is also grandfather to a small army of grandchildren. All right, so now I want to ask you, about a figure by the name of Anthony Comstock, which you wrote an article about this fellow for Touchstone Magazine uh, entitled P Pure Visionary. And um, <clears throat> I actually knew, you, you say at the beginning of the article that you can find few people that even know who he is. Now, I know who he was because I was watching a movie or something once and I heard this word Comstockery. And I thought, what in the world is that? And I looked it up and and then I wanted to know where the word came from, and that's how I learned about who Anthony Comstock was. But let's just start with the definition that appears at uh, one of the. I saw this on Google uh, when I hit the find. It's also in dictionary.com. And the word is a noun, Comstockery. Overzealous moral censorship of the fine arts and literature, and literature often mistaking outspokenly honest works for salacious ones. Is that Anthony Comstock? <laughs> Who is Anthony Comstock? Well, that's that's partially true, uh, but I, only from a kind of a disjointed, uh, antagonistic way. Who was Anthony Comstock? Well, uh, he was born oh, roughly about 1840, served in, in Connecticut at a time when Connecticut was still seen as perhaps the most conservative state in the Union, uh, a legacy of the old Puritan uh, ethos there. Uh, he came from old Puritan families on both sides, both his mother and father. Uh, their families um, came to America back in the 17th century, so he was Puritan stock all the way. Uh, he grew up uh, uh, basically as a farm boy. His father died when he was relatively young. His mother raised him in a very strict religious household. He served. His brother died at the Battle of Gettysburg in the Civil War. Anthony joined the uh, Union Army basically to replace him. And from the very beginning, uh, there's funny stories. As a soldier, he refused to um, 
swear and, and drink with his soldier buddies, one of the things he would do to drive his fellow soldiers crazy is they would once in a while get a rum ration or some whiskey rations. Yeah. He would take his whiskey ration in front of his fellow soldiers and pour it on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> of course, he won a few friends <laughs> that way. But uh, kind of give you a sense of where he was. He was uh, he did not drink. He did not swear. He organized, uh, well, as a soldier, he organized prayer meetings and things like that. So we're talking about a hardcore Christian. After the war, uh, after the war was over, he, he wandered into New York City, and um, which at the time was growing rapidly, filling up with new immigrants. The place was wild and raucous, all kinds of... We'll say immorality were there. Gambling halls, prostitution yeah. halls. Uh, wound up be, being attracted to, to the Young Men's Christian Association, the YMCA. This was back when the YMCA was still very much a Christian movement, evangelical Christian movement. And um, um, began, began his own crusade with the backing of the YMCA to, to try to suppress pornography um, and, um, and abortion. And birth control as it finally wound up. He was not a deep philosopher, but he believed one thing very much so, is that pornography, abortifacients, things to cause an abortion, uh, both mechanical and, and chemical, um, and birth control, were the same problem. It was all represented the same moral problem. All were deviations from the Christian moral order. Again, he was not a Catholic. Let's get this clear. He was a Protestant, an evangelical Protestant. And uh, the YMCA began to back him. And he found the astonishing thing is he found backing from some of the richest and most famous people of the time. He, 1874, the YMCA spun off the Comstock work to something called the New York Society for the Suppression of Vice, which was given a charter by the state legislature um, which was backed, in fact, its board, founding board members included J.P. Morgan. You may have heard of him, the banker. He was, the, he was the, one of the founding board members and a lifetime for, for three, 30 years until his death was an active board member for the New York Society for the Suppression of Vice. Samuel Colgate of Colgate Palmolive. So rich, powerful people were behind him. And not just, uh, uh, you mentioned all these corporate magnates, but uh, in reading your article, he also, at some point or another, also had the strong support of the New York Times, the New Republic, which was as left-wing then as, as it is today, um, Woodrow Wilson. Uh, he had most of the, much of the American literary establishment on his side. Um, Harvard University professors, past presidents. Even current presidents, the New, York, New England Society for the Suppression of Vice, its vice presidents were the presidents of Yale, Dartmouth, <laughs> uh, uh, Princeton. Uh, so we're talking about the educational elite. We're 100% behind Comstock. So this, who were his enemies? Does he have any? He, well, the free love movement was his one enemy, and, was, and they were organized to some degree under something called the National Legal 
uh, I'm sorry, the National Liberal League. Uh, and then by liberal, they meant uh, moral liberal. They're, they opposed marriage laws. They wanted to have free, free entry, free exit into sexual unions. So get rid of the marriage laws, easy divorce. Right. Or even no divorce at all because there would be no marriage at all. Um, that, that, those were his opponents. They were around. They were around by the thousands. But uh, as, you, as, you, as you say, the elites of the country agreed with Comstock that abortion, contraception, and pornography were the, a common problem. And people say, well, pornography, what, what kind of pornography could they have had then? Well, they had plenty of it. Well, they had, they had literary pornography, that is, book, dirty books with salacious passages. Right. Um, but also, remember, photography was invented and became public, something you could buy by about 1840. And the pornographers were there right away, uh, uh, saw a business opportunity. Uh, but before that, they were engravings, you know, we'll call it dirty engravings that were, were common in books and so on. But f- uh, photography by the 1870s, uh, dirty postcards from Cuba were one of the favorite uh, commodities. Uh, you mentioned in your book, too, <laughs> by the way, if people are thinking this is a, a woman who's pulling a skirt up over her knee, uh, that's not the case. In your article, you quote a... Um, uh, a, a modern uh, executive at, at Playboy or editor at Playboy who said he, he's reviewed some of the materials that Comstock had, had censored, and he said even by today's standards, this is, is racy stuff, arousing it, stuff. It would arouse you, yes, yeah. yes. All of this was designed to protect children. Comstock, while he didn't quite, well, he did articulate this in his own way. He said uh, pornography in particular is, a, is addictive. Once, once you start, once a child's mind or a young man's mind is inflamed through pornographic literature or pornographic art or pornographic photos, uh, a permanent damage is done to, to, the, to the moral order of, of, in that child's mind. Uh, it's very difficult to undo. Uh, to be quite frank, given the... Um, Collapse. Well, I mean, say collapse of any restraints on pornography over the last 25 years in the United States, and the growing problem of of of, uh, of pornographic use by children, youth, and adults. Uh, there's a lot to say for Comstock's view. <laughs>